welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour, number 57. As we keep marching on, doing these once a week, these go live typically every Thursday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time, so right during your lunch hour on the East Coast, or you can watch the replays on YouTube or listen to the audio on any of of your, um, excuse me, I said Spotify, but any of your podcast players of choice, Spotify, Apple, wherever. I am joined by my co-host, as always, Ryan Henderson. And today we are talking about whatever we want, as always, but it's going to be earnings season. We got a lot of earnings this week. As I look, Ryan loaded up some nice stuff to talk about. Starbucks, Uber, Snap, which ooh, I'm already cringing thinking about that one. Um, yeah. Match Group and then Shopify Special Edition. They have their earnings plus a very surprising transaction with Flexport. I have a Bitcoin bet that maybe some people heard about that I thought was interesting, potentially looking at some real estate platforms, launching some chat GTP stuff, or I can never say that right, G. GPT. GPT, I always slip it and say GTP, and then mortgage rate update along with interest rates, and then possibly some fake meat data that industry is maybe Plant stagnated. Plant-based, it's different. Plant-based? Fake, fake meat oh, is yeah, pejorative. Is that, are we not allowed to say that? It's hurtful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, and wait, we, maybe allowed, about that, we are but, allowed to say that because Brett doesn't eat meat, so yeah, we're, and not, we're not slandering. I have some good anecdotes there where I hate those products and I don't even eat the real stuff, so... Um, but yeah, maybe we can talk about that. I think that's an interesting case study of hyped up industries if we get to that later. But Ryan, let's kick things off with you. Uh, I'll tweet out some links here and then why don't you get started? Yeah, um, I guess I, 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 maybe it's called Earnings Palooza this week. It's probably the most chaotic week, I think, because I'm guessing this is the week where the most companies report earnings. Um and so there's been a ton that I've gone through that looked pretty interesting. Some of them looked horrendous, um, but I'll start with the interesting one. Starbucks, great report. Starbucks um, comp sales were up, I want to say 11%. Here, let me pull up the document wow. real quick. Um, yeah, Q2 comp store sales up 11%. Now that's what I would have thought, right? Just pure pricing power. Volume, transactions were global transactions increased 6%, average ticket increased 4%. So they're still driving pretty big volume growth. I do, and I maybe didn't look into it, but um, I wonder if China reopening was maybe a big boost to sales for them. Um, But either way, I mean, it it looked like good results, even good results in North America. Comp store sales were up 12% in North America. So um, I mean, really good growth kind of across the board. Yeah, China comp store sales were only up 3%. So um, this is not just China reopening. I will say I live next to a Starbucks in Seattle. That's kind of like one of the experimental ones. They they like test out a bunch of stuff that like haven't the been. The big one, right? Or no? It's not, not, the- it's, it's not the roastery or whatever, um, but it's the... Uh, they they have like a couple stores where they trial different products. So like the olive oil coffees and the like there's there's a number of new breakfast items that apparently haven't been launched elsewhere. And I gotta say, it feels like Starbucks is back on the come up. And the labor issues seem to be, at least from the commentary from management and kind of just what I've read in the media, it seems like the labor issues have been maybe not resolved, but kind of slowed or uh, union efforts are maybe kind of dying out. Now, I will say some of that probably had to do from the do with the union busting actions that, uh, and they're not going to call it union busting, but I think 
it was yes. union busting. Um, actions that uh, Howard Schultz took. So, you know, even though Howard Schultz can't seem to find a successful successor, and is he like, back? Is he back? I thought they named a new. So they brought him back, and then it's they so named... confusing. It's an endless story of him coming back. <laughs> no, they 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 brought him back, and then they named Laxman Narasimhan Narasimhan. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that uh, as his successor, and he came over from like a consumer goods business, and they basically had this like I think it was like a six month understudy role where Howard Schultz was the CEO and Laxman kind of just. Uh, it sounds like followed him around, kind of got the lay of the land for the business. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen how he'll do. But I do think it was an interesting time to be following around Howard Schultz because you had major inflation issues kind of, you know, and there's always kind of uncertainty with the macro economy, but there was macro <laughs> every, every conference call since 1950. We have, well, I don't even know if they did that then. Well, in this, we, we had great results despite macroeconomic uncertainty. I'm sick of hearing that at every conference yeah. call. It's like unprecedented. Unprecedented. Yeah. Every day is unprecedented. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, he also did it at a time when they had labor issues. So, kind of um, big labor issues, inflation problems. There were supply chain issues too. I think that they were, they had to kind of navigate. So, a period when, Basically, they had to find a way to please all stakeholders, and they did a good job. I think that's kind of an interesting time for him to be under Howard Schultz. Um, but I will yeah. say, Howard Schultz, even though he can't seem to pass the business off, he, when he's there, the business performs well. Not he was able to put he cut the cut the buyback. Said they're investing in the oh appease uh, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> there you go. That's your key stakeholder. Yeah, but I mean, within I think a year of him coming back, labor disputes have gotten better. Comp transactions or, or comp store sales are certainly going the right direction. Uh, the buyback is back in place, or it's stated to be back in place. So he's made employees, customers, and shareholders all happy. Um, and the stock, if I'm stock was honest, down, right? Or is, I mean, down on the earnings, but it's been up, right? It's done pretty well. I'm not sure, but uh, not sure on the specific the earnings specifically. But if I pull up performance versus the S and P 500, no, not that one. Uh, it's yeah. been. You want to share it, or are you just gonna describe it? It's up basically. 50%. Starbucks is up 50% in the last year, 43%. And the SP 500 is flat. So, yeah, yeah. pretty good. The uh, do, do you think the labor stuff just kind of solved itself when every, it seemed like so many companies were getting, because the labor market was so loose and everyone had so much freedom. And now with the Fed and kind of layoffs and stuff like that, it's getting a lot tighter. People have a lot less freedom with their job choices. And after, in you know, a lot of companies introduce these pay hikes. Now people are a little probably less nervous of angering management because they don't have a ton of flexibility to leave for these jobs. I mean, I was a company we follow, or at least I keep following that we don't own is Sprouts Farmers Market. And they talked about the same thing where they had labor issues a year ago, or basically not like the same to the same extent with the union busting stuff or the you know threats to unionize, but they had you know struggles to attract workers and retain them because it was so easy to leave for another job. And now that's tightening up a bit. So I wonder if that almost solved itself and it was, you know, Schultz can just thank Jerome Powell for that one. Yeah. I think some, I mean, it's harder to find a job. I think today, um, less, less companies probably hiring out there. Uh, Incrementally. Yeah. Here's a question though from Matthias. Uh, hope I always hope you're saying Matt H, who uh, as I know from who's followed the show a long time, he has an important question for you, Ryan. Have you tried the olive oil drink? And if I not, did. you probably should. Okay, did you like it? I was so I will say going in, I was a skeptic, and because they were like bringing this tray around, kind of as like samplers, and it was like a olive oil cold brew or something like that. And I, I know maybe people don't. Maybe listeners that are here for the investment. It sounds like a great. Care, it sounds like a great way to up your calories with minimal uh, taste, but whatever. I, I thought it was. 
I thought the drink was delicious. I, I mean, and you know what? Howard Schultz went on, like, I think he was on some interview and he said, like, we have a new product that's going to completely change the game. And he's like, it's olive oil. Everyone's like, what the hell? And I, I got to say, it was pretty damn good. So what are they marketing it as? Do they say it's like healthy or just kind of cool or, you know, a new drink or just super tasty or they just kind of threw it out to you? I don't know because I don't think it was like, I don't know. They they just kind of brought it around and I tried a sampler. Um, But I I don't think they're like broadcasting as like the healthiest alternative or something like that. I think it's more just like try this new flavor. Interesting. All right. Let's move to the next one. What do you have for us? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, well, I guess before we move on, I do see, yeah, you're right. The stock dropped after earnings. So I'm wondering if something was said on the call that concerned people. But anyway, um, Uber, I saw you had a nice, you've, you've done a full 180 on Uber. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about that after you go through the earnings results and how, well, let's, let's be clear. The, the, the income statement doesn't look great, but I like the actual underlying business seems much better than I thought it would be. And maybe we can talk about that after you go through what the results were. I mean, I think the trends of the income statement look great, but yeah, they are yeah, still well. not net income positive. But I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the reserve build for their insurance business now. So well, I, mean, real. That's, I mean, that's real, that's, but yeah. it's, um, I guess, not on the cash flow statement. Um, they get a little bit of float. Yeah. But it, uh, I mean, it looked good. Mobility bookings, which is just like the actual ride sharing platform, um, up 40% year over year, 43% in constant currency. Delivery bookings were only up 8%, but still, I mean, it's not, not bad at all. Um, mobility seems just straight up profitable. I, I mean, you can kind of, they do the segment adjusted EBITDA stuff, which is a little tough to like parse because. It doesn't include yeah. corporate costs, and the corporate <laughs> those are, those are costs big. are meant to serve their segments. So, um, isn't it five hundred million? If you're looking at right, a quarter for their corporate costs. Yeah, I mean the segment adjusted EBITDA for mobility or whatever is a billion. So, yeah, and technically it's whatever. Uh, I, I think mobility would be profitable if they just cut everything, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. The, Record free cash flow in the quarter. I think it was like 594 million in free cash flow. Uh, net income is basically getting there. I think it, I'm sorry, I'm kind of doing these off the top of my head, but uh, looking here, net income was or net loss of 157 million. That's significantly improved from last year. Uh, although they did have like a mark to market loss on a bunch of stuff, I think last year. So it looks maybe. Yeah, for them, I think operating income, operating income is the best. I don't even think free cash flow is good because one, they're heavy, heavy stock base issuers, and two, the equity investments, and then three, that insurance build. From what I'm no expert on the business, but it seems like that is not really true free cash flow. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they'll probably be profitable at some point this year, um, maybe next year, but the trends are certainly going the right direction. Um, and that's on, and that's with freight basically declining really quickly. Uh, I, I mean, there's just a ton to like, I think at this point they built damn near a monopoly. I'd say, uh, lift. Yeah. Yeah. Uber Eats, I think is, has, is losing to DoorDash, but still it can be a good business. It can be a profitable business. I think once you layer on advertising, um, I don't, I mean, there's just a lot to like here. And it was one of those businesses, I think where every time you use the service, you think like, gosh, this is a valuable proposition 
for customers. Um, and it's one you like intuitively think, wow, this could be a big business. But then you look and you've just been like, uh, just some of the corporate excess, I guess, is a little bit gross, but I think they're getting there. And maybe those, maybe those ridiculous investments are paying off now because they've been able to outcompete some of the other people. But I would say they've been, able, they probably could have done that with less expenses as well. So. Yeah, I think they've raised somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I believe it's uh, could be $40 billion. And they still, uh, the whole, the, you know, they're still losing money, quote unquote. Obviously, you know, they're generating cash, as Ryan mentioned, because of the working capital stuff in the SBC, but they're still not profitable. And just to give any numbers, I believe they're at a 3% operating loss, or excuse me, operating negative operating margin this quarter. And a year or two ago, they were at negative 50%. So the progress is there and you can see how it's working. But I don't know. How, look, the business looks great to me right now, especially mobility, delivery, TBD. We'll see how that that shakes out. And yeah, it's frustrating to not see the actual profitability of each unit. You know, I think they have a good pricing power within the mobility marketplace. It's a fine business. Yeah, there's regulatory risk. I don't know how I make the stock work from here. I think the market cap, when I looked at it after the report, was about $75 billion. And going through a little bit of projections on their, their earnings, their their operating income, I could kind of come away with maybe 4 to $5 billion in operating income three years from now. And that gets you a out if you add back mate probably some taxes although i'm guessing they have a lot of deferred tax assets um which uh, you know is fine that's good for them and i i'm assuming you want to i haven't done the ev calculation this is just on the market cap so again we have not really fully looked at the business in a while you get about on that four to five billion in earnings you get about a market multiple on an earnings multiple so I think you got to be pretty optimistic, especially given the you know the dilution that's going to come in, stuff like that. That the stock is either one going to trade at a high earnings multiple, or two is going to grow a lot quicker than maybe I was pricing in like ten percent growth a year, which I think on a consolidated basis is probably reasonable. But what do you think? I, I just think the stock's a little tough to get around at at this current price. Yeah, I think a lot of. Uh, the investment community recognized the direction that profits were going a long time ago and kind of priced it in. So a long time ago, stock is like, a, no, sorry. Like a year ago. I remember when we looked at it for the not so deep dive and we kind of were uncertain as to whether or not they were going to get there. I, I think that's basically when it started to turn around. I don't know. Stocks up. It's, I mean, year to date, it's up 50%. I feel like people are dogging it. Maybe that was just because all growth stocks were getting crushed at the end of the year, uh, end of 2022. Um, let's see, over five years. Yeah, I guess during the bubble, it popped up to like 60. Uh, it's, it's really followed kind of the art complex and the high growth stuff, which maybe that's an advantage because the business seems to actually be making its way to being a legitimate one and actually profitable. Yeah, I just, I think it's a good business. Like at this point, they've got such yeah. a big marketplace full of drivers um, that rely on this for like le legit income. Um, they're not, at least in their mature markets, they're not underpricing their rides anymore. I mean, it's, it's, the rides are expensive and people are still using them on a regular basis. Um, I think it's just really influential throughout kind of, North America for sure, but um, the world probably. And I, yeah, I, I still would not underestimate their ability to waste capital. Like, I, I yeah, think they got a, they have 33,000 employees and they got to pull a lift, lift fired like 30% of their employees. They just hired too many people, right? Don't you think? Yeah. And it, uh, I mean, they still like invest in stupid stuff. Or Lime. they still buy like equity stakes, <laughs> yeah. and so I mean that stuff isn't gone. I wouldn't expect this to be a business that returns capital to shareholders anytime soon. We do have a comment here in the in the chat from Neil says, "What do you make of the Wix drop yesterday?" 
I will just disclose this now. We are no longer shareholders of Wix. Our holdings are uh, now up to date. Sorry, I, I try to update them once a month uh, on our website. And we haven't been a shareholder for, what, two or Double three months? Couple months, yeah. Found some better, I mean, nothing changed. Well, a few things changed. Maybe we'll go over it on the price another changed. episode. The price changed a bit um, from when we really liked it at an attractive valuation. Second, management team is showing no progress in getting rational. They kind of have the same problem as Uber, I'd say. And that is okay at a cheap enough price, but is a big headwind versus other businesses. And then third, we found some ideas we liked better. Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't but, know why. I, I checked. I don't know why it's it's down. Uh, I assume Squarespace I, reported. That, I, that could be good. Yeah, they, they didn't have, and they didn't have earnings or anything like that. So I'm assuming Squarespace reported, and they tend to. I think people call it a sympathy trade, where if Squarespace results are bad, everyone just thinks Wix's will be. I'm not seeing Wix, or I'm not seeing any results from Squarespace. Let's look at. Let's just look at Curious what it is. Yeah, I, I saw that yesterday, Neil, as well, and I couldn't figure out why because both of them were down. Both Squarespace and Wix were down. Maybe someone got some data. Maybe there's something out there. Um, typically, they trade a little bit in line with Shopify as well. So maybe I'm, maybe that was it. Maybe but it was Shopify like... is this morning, so I don't. It, the information wasn't out there yet, um, and Shopify's wasn't that good or that bad. I'll check uh, the. I'll check the news feed here. See if Wix. we got anything. Uh, yeah, great. Wix stock. Tweet that out. Oh, yeah, check out the, the one on Stratosphere. Oh, 18 hours ago. Why Fiverr, Upwork, and Wix were all falling today. Oh, it's because Chag warned about chat GPT. Oh, interesting. I, g- I think that's maybe a stupid reason to sell it off. Yeah, I could see. They said Fiverr, Upwork, and Wix, and I'm assuming some other stuff for online platforms but i could see fiverr and upwork selling off because maybe that makes sense you know you can have a lot more of that stuff automated for freelance work but wix that doesn't make sense to me at least in the short term Um, i know you can have these language learning models like uh like write code but i think wix provides a lot more value to small businesses than just simply yeah wix already does a lot of that automation for you so honestly i think it would help help them as long as they don't Botch it. Um, yeah, let's see. And yeah, you know I guess Chegg, maybe maybe there'll be more. I mean, Chegg. Chegg is the number one. When I think of businesses that are most likely to be impacted, and I know this is hindsight or whatever, to be most likely impacted by ChatGPT, Chegg's number one because at least all the use cases that I've kind of, and I'm not talking about people like toying around with it. I mean, the true use cases where it actually helps is people cheating on homework, which is Chegg's core value proposition. So, yeah. And you know what? We've been, we've looked at Chegg. I mean, Chegg, if you were in college in the last 10 years, you know that Chegg is uninvestable. (laughs) Right. It's always been sort of a fragile model because it's built on something that a number (laughs) of stakeholders are trying to get rid of. It's built on a lie. (laughs) Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember hearing someone like pitch it to me as like an online college textbook store. I was like, that's not what Shake is. Yeah, it's all right. It's confusing though because the way they talk to investors, they don't explain yeah. fully what I mean, they what, do. What which... are they going to say? Like, we uh, we help kids cheat. Yeah, exactly. All right, I think that's enough with Uber. I would be fascinated to check them out and maybe in a year or so we can do another not so deep dive on them because that's a, such a dynamic company Maybe we could do fallen angels or basically 2010 startups as a theme but let's move on to the next earnings wait who's, Ryan, who's bigger today airbnb or uber probably it's probably close i know we had our bet ah uber's slightly up at least yeah by like a billion yeah it's about the same what do you buy what I like here. I'd, I'd like, I like Airbnb better. Same, although it's more just because Uber's more overvalued. But I think Airbnb is slightly better business. Okay, next earnings. What do we have, Ryan? Yeah, number of uh, number of different reports to get to. Snapchat reported Snap. I didn't look. What? How bad? 
I mean, it's just a business that'll never generate money and in, in well, I never say never, I guess. But you talk about like this feeling like a project. I mean, it feels like this is Evan Spiegel's like just little experiment lab where he just got a whole bunch of VC money and now he just throws it at whatever he wants. I mean, some of their AI stuff is like frankly pathetic. They gave they they formed an AI bot to talk to people on Snapchat, you, like send are messages. You, are you a user still of Snapchat? Did you did you test no, this out? I don't use it anymore, but my friends have told me they're like, this thing's just like creepy and weird. Like yeah. no one wants it. It, it. They're they're building stuff that no one's asking for. Um and I'm looking right now. I'm gonna do and he, they got no. dual class. This is, you know, this is a big with that dual class uh, shareholder, or excuse me, dual class stock, where I believe, and this could have changed. Spiegel has complete control of this company, so the board is a bit powerless on whatever he wants to do. Okay, net income over the last eight years, seven years, negative five hundred million. Negative three and a half billion. Negative do you want to share? Do you want to share it or? Uh, um, no, it's all right. Maybe I, all right. Basically, they've never gotten anywhere near profitability, and uh, over the last twelve months, they've lost one point five billion. But sometimes I wonder, like, okay, without free capital today, how long is this business going to be around? Like, you obviously can't keep doing this. I got another. Uh, or go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing, okay, so there was a really good question on the conference call. Uh, Rich Greenfield came on and basically called them out. He said, why not scale back the AR, the augmented reality investments until you're in a better financial position? You know, obviously it feels like Meta has got the luxury of sort of walking and chewing gum. When I look at like their metaverse investment, I'm not sure you have that luxury. So how do you think about, how do you balance sort of what you need to do, accelerate your core business versus sort of investing in the future? Basically saying like, hey, you're not Meta. You don't print cash. You can't just treat this as your little experimental box, your incubator. Um, because it's a public company. Yeah. I, and they gave like this just horrid word salad answer. Um, I mean, it's a business that just has to cut expenses. I agree. I will also give another bearish anecdote in Latin America. WhatsApp is, has copied all of the core features. Uh, they have stories and it's very popular. I'm assuming it's popular outside of North America as well in other parts outside of North America. I think Snap is going to have a very, very hard time making inroads into new markets because WhatsApp is really trying to lock down the social social messaging, kind of less broadcast social media stuff, if you want to describe it like that, for a lot of these people. I mean, when I was down there, the stories feature, which it, it seemed exactly like what Snapchat is, just without advertising, it completely copied it. And yeah, it's I, I just don't see them growing much at all. And I think, yeah, I would be... If, if someone said you had to make a bet, I guess even odds, whatever, we're not going to handicap it, that um, is Snapchat going to be around... Five years from now, or not, as a public, as the same equity or the same corporation, you know, without going through bankruptcy, I would say I would vote no. Yeah, I only I see this getting. This wor- I only see it Look getting at- worse. I only okay. see it getting worse. Snapchat's price to sales ratio in twenty twenty one reached forty times. Let me. You gotta. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta share this. Today it's two point seven times. Let me so, pull it up. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, multiple compressions, a bitch, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's like ninety five percent multiple compression. God, that's crazy. Wait. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Over the last five years, it's down sixty seven percent. Yeah, I'm gonna share it right now. 
price sales December 20. I mean, this is not even showing the peak. I mean, look at that change. Remember when they had that the Kardashian thing with the new formatting and then it like there was the whole panic in the investor community, which has got to be funny in like a mature investment place who was in Snapchat and they're like talking to your PM. Dude, you, did you hear? They're like, why is the stock down so much? Uh, you didn't hear? The Kardashians tweeted something. And that's got to be hilarious. But then what, what are we seeing here? Back up to 29, then 18, which is still absurd. And now below three. I guess that shows that, I mean, that's really, that's around the market average of a sales ratio, which we talked with our friend Jim Gillies the other day. Um, sales ratios are <laughs> fairly useless, except to show over the last few years how absolutely absurd they are. Some you know valuation metrics are. It's usually only useless to show how absurd something is. Which in Snap's case, it was. Yeah, it's completely useless unless it unless you're trying to demonstrate how useless it truly is. The uh, it. I think this business. I think Snapchat may be the number one like letting tech VC Silicon Valley culture dictate how you spend money. Like that might be the best example because this is one where there's never been a focus on minority shareholders. There's never been a focus on ever generating cash. Um, Yeah. I just never got the thesis on it. I don't think it's going to change. Yeah. I never got the thesis. Yeah, I agree. All right. We got a comment here from Scotland. Thanks for joining Scotland. One of the few. Uh, that always joins. Uh, he says, looking at all these tickers, I believe they're all uh, one of them specific trust like bank or whatever reach, it was. Yeah, all the regional banks. banks. So it would be cool if you guys could do a video or episode just talking about the banking madness. Uh, says, break it down in layman's terms. You guys do a great job about that. Whatever. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Uh, but I don't think we can do it this episode. We need to probably prep a little bit, but maybe we could do it next week. Could be interesting. Uh, we kind of have underplayed it a bit. Uh, Ryan did say hey. that. Um, <laughs> All time bad timing. <laughs> yeah, the uh, which is fine. Which is fine. Uh, but we could maybe try to try to explain it. We're not banking analysts, but maybe the basic stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know. Maybe we could get someone on at some point to talk about that. Um, what do you think, Ryan? But definitely not this week. We need we need notes for sure because it's not something yeah. we follow closely. Maybe sometime we can try to get some. Uh, someone better than ourselves. I would say that just in general, I think th- the problem is every time I say something, the situation changes and then I look like an yeah, idiot. So Yeah, we, I would rather um, do a post-mortem when we know kind of when things have fallen where they are. Because you don't know, in a week, everything could totally change. I mean, Jerome Powell yesterday was was like, everything's sound. And then, although people are overhyping this Pacific Trust Bank or whatever it is, <laughs> because it's so small, uh, but whatever. Yeah, I think generally what's happening is most of these banks that people are concerned about, it's an asset problem. So they're concerned about the loans um, or maybe not the loans, just the securities that they hold being either marked down, like they're they're not worth as much as they were two years ago because people can get higher um, returns today on or those the loans. Commercial, yeah, the commercial real estate gets written down a bunch, something like that. Yeah, so I think people are worried about that as the primary concern, but I think the big concern is that somehow the asset problem becomes a liability problem where people get concerned about the solvency of the or the earnings power of the bank, and then they think uh, deposits might fl- flee. Yeah. So it's a sticky, it's a, it's a delicate situation. Again, maybe we'll talk about it in a few weeks, uh, but we can't, yeah, not going to talk about it today, but yeah, it is, it, that's, that's a good idea. Also, Scarlett had a question. Can Ryan elaborate on the Silicon Valley culture? Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah the, it sounded, there's so much innovation going on over there. I sound like, like just a scummy finance guy when I say like, Oh, the gross culture in Silicon Valley. But in general, it seems like they, treat the public shareholders like the public markets as a place to dump their losses. So the VCs give them money, say, go invest as much as you can in new employees and products and um, trying to get customers on the platform at whatever cost. And basically when you finally get to enough scale, uh, 
will we'll have instead as a public shareholder i look at it and say like are you generating cash for me they gener- they look at their liquidity event as changing as changing the shares giving them to someone else which is to, to the dumping public, them on the public yeah that's kind of what i think of i mean generally speaking businesses that lose a bunch of money every single year shouldn't live on forever yeah that's that's a good way to put it yeah i agree and here's i think a good example of a company that used to be like that but switched is airbnb where they during the pandemic they had to really tighten down the hatches and before that they talked about how they were really unprofitable you know they talk about great quote-unquote unit economics and then they would burn money in marketing burn money on growth hire as many employees as they could then during the pandemic they had to go into panic mode when they had all these refunds coming in to try to you know they had to raise some really expensive debt and then just batten down the hatches fire a bunch of people lower their costs and then when they came out of that they realized okay well maybe all that hiring and expenses weren't actually that useful we can still grow because our plat our business model is sound generate cash make our employees happy that are there you know there's going to be less of them uh make our investors our vc investors happy because their valuation is going to be higher because we're generating cash as a public company and then making the public shareholders happy as well because again you're actually profitable so i think yeah the vcs don't no it's not all of them but some of these companies and there's a big trend that happened since 2010 is some of the companies do not value one of their key stakeholders, which are outside investors, uh, properly. And hopefully that changes. But I think it's a key risk when you look at a company like that, like Uber, right? As a public company investment, has that culture really, can they fix that? Um, that's how we look at it. Because we're not like, they can be run like that. We're just not going to buy the stock, if you get know what I mean. Like we're, you know, it's not illegal, but it's just a negative yeah. for us. I mean, just, and and it, I think when you're told, okay, how how old was Evan Spiegel when he started the business? Like 20? I think when you're 20 years old. In college, yeah. I don't mean to go on the whole Scott Galloway rant, but when you're 20 years old and. And Ryan is 24, so. uh, You're you're (laughs) told by a lot of people, like how influential you are and, you know, basically when you're not a public company, a lot of people and you're kind of in the Silicon Valley realm and you're going out and, you know, people know who you are. I I think a lot of your relevance is based on how many, how many people work at your company? What kind of influence does your company have in, in the Silicon Valley community? Like how many people are using the app? It's not on like, people don't really give a shit, like what your operating cash flow, your free cash flow looks like. Um, So I think it, it can be easy to conflate that, with actual shareholder returns and maybe that's you know better for your life better for your employees um and a company can be run like that maybe not forever but a company can't be run like that it's just not going to provide returns for shareholders um and so that's kind of why i avoid some of the stuff where it feels like they're deeply entrenched in that kind of ideology um that, that that was a big concern with us for wix and that was the reason why we sold um that kind of, you know, we soured on it because they weren't really fixing that issue, even though they said they were. It was one of those watch what they're doing and not what they're saying because they said, look, we're fixing it. We're getting rational and it wasn't showing up. Um, I, I found this interesting. I, I saw a tweet that I thought was interesting. It kind of reminds me of like Silicon Valley. Uh, a lot of the companies that have come out, come out of the Valley, but it's a Buco Capital tweet, which just for the record, I think uh, great follow, but he's uh, funny. Says, he's probably my second, second funniest on there uh, besides I can never say right. Kubiko, uh, Kabuki, no, Kabuki, Kabuki. It's Kabuki Theater, but that's the funniest account. Buko Capital is another very, very funny anonymous account. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he says lots of software companies who thought they had recurring revenue unlock do not have that revenue unlock. Lots of software companies are going to guide for second half acceleration, basically a Hail Mary that the macro improves. I feel like that's happening a lot right now, which is like growth. Expect slow growth in the first two quarters, but we expect it to reaccelerate into the back half, which is yeah, like just a prayer. <laughs> don't worry. When all the cons- excess consumer savings get go out the door and the businesses have to refinance and all these higher interest rates are flowing through to these businesses, don't worry. Things will get better then. 
It's like, are you kidding me? Uh, but he's yeah. he. Uh, I should note though for any listeners, like, what does this guy know about? Um, I don't know the person personally. I've DM'd with him before, but this person works as a, I think, a VP or some sort of manager within a company like in in the software space. So he know he's he's deciding whether to buy these. Uh, software programs as that's kind of his evidence. And he probably talks with a lot of colleagues within the industry. So he has boots on the ground. Yeah. I'll just read the second tweet and then I'll I'll stop. He says one tricky thing that businesses are going to learn the hard way, frictionless sales. That's like product led growth, touchless purchase via website, freemium, et cetera, is a great, is great on the way up, gnarly on the way down, no relationship, holding that contract together, no friction in none out either. I think that's, going to prove true where it's going to be so hard like customers don't care when budgets contract like how easy it was to become a customer initially like uh, they're going to get rid of that if they need to and if you don't have a relationship kind of holding that together um or you don't provide tons of like necessity value something that they need for their business to run I think there uh, there's going to be a lot of churn for products like that. And I, I mean, there's tons of software companies that are kind of like that right now. So I don't know. It just reminds me, I guess, that maybe maybe some of the software businesses, even though they are asset light, higher margin, like I think sometimes those high gross margins can be like a reverse indicator. Of what? That, and I mean, each business is different, but... Like if you have really high gross margins, it costs very little like variable expenses. There's very little variable expenses in your business. Maybe you don't have that deep of a relationship with your customers. Or, and I know it's different for every business. Like consumer products, obviously, very different. But um, I'm thinking of like, sorry to call some companies out, but the asanas of the world, like scheduling products, stuff like. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Yeah, you had to you had to decide or. or- I think the biggest question if you're an investor in these companies is you have to decide whether you are confident this is actually mission critical. If there are high switching costs, if the company decided to leave the software program, would their business take a huge hit? And if not, and if it's only more of a productivity tool or some sort of management tool that's not actually affecting their core product, then I think that's where, that's the big question I ask. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got 15 minutes here. Anything else we want to talk about? I I don't know if you have anything prepped. I have some stuff. Do you want to talk about a fun Bitcoin story or a fun crypto story? Sure. Yeah. This one's this one's funny. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you didn't see this. It was all over the. Uh... I saw I saw the headlines. The headlines. Okay. The Balaji Bilo- or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. The guy that made the big bet. Apologies to the guy. I don't know how to say his name. Okay. They call, this is from the QZ. I'm going to be quoting a lot of stuff from here, but it says, uh, all right, there's a pseudonymous, which is an anonymous, I guess, leftist Twitter account, won $1 million from crypto investor Balaji. Oh, gosh, I can never say your last name. Apologies for that. Over a bet on U.S. inflation. So, let's go through what this was. The, let's see, how do I even describe it? Let me just share the screen here. So, Medlock, who is this anonymous account, it's not the real person's name, said he'd bet anyone $1 million that the U.S. wouldn't enter hyperinflation because during the time, I think during the middle of the March banking crisis, people are talking about hyperinflation. And then Balaji, uh, he had been warning about the risk of hyperinflation. So I think this is, you know, they're already debating heavily about this topic. Took him up on the bet, setting a term of 90 days. He said at first, and this got settled, um, w- funny enough, not with a smart contract, but this got settled with lawyers uh, later on. And they finalized how to you know decide and stuff like that. He said, I will take that bet. You buy one Bitcoin. I will send 1 million USD. This is a 40 to 1 odds as one Bitcoin is worth $26,000 today. The term is 90 days. All we need is a mutually agreed custodian. Funny enough, (laughs) 
a mutually agreed custodian. Well, uh, what about that smart contract, buddy? Uh, so basically, it was a bet that Bitcoin would go to a million dollars in 90 days because the U.S. was hitting hyperinflation, right? And this is in the middle of March, so it's been less than 90 days. And how do I how do I describe this? It was a win-win for Medlock because if it was hyperinflation, then sending him, then sending Balaji $1 million basically is just, it's not <laughs> that much money. But if it doesn't happen, then this Balaji guy has to send him $1 million on an even odds uh, or basically, you know, even payout. But the, but Bitcoin had to go up by 40 times in 90 days. Do you see how this might be a you know, uneven bet. I, I really wish I was the one that tweeted that out because this med like that this was the bet of a lifetime. But the funniest thing that happened is that, and maybe I should stop sharing the screen so we can just talk. Even it hasn't even been 90 days. And uh the the VC guy, sorry, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce your name correctly, said, All right, you won. <laughs> it's over because Bitcoin's still below, I think, 30k. And he just sent him the money. And his excuse was, I sent them a million, I lost a million to tell the world they're printing trillions. And I just think, what is this VC brain, macro doomer brain? I mean, what's gone into these people? Because he just, uh, I don't know. What what did you think of this? Because it seemed like one of the craziest, because officially the money got sent. It actually was one of these bets that went down, and half of it went to, um, I think, some charity. But I mean, think about $500,000 in less than 90 days for one of the easiest bets you could ever make. I mean, how lucky is this guy, Medlock? I mean, congrats to him. Yeah, and congrats to him for making sure the guy followed through. It seems like one of the dumbest bets to offer, and it was probably, you know, just for like, the purposes of like attracting eyeballs and getting more people to kind of believe <laughs> oh, yeah. in crypto. Um, I think by saying, I think Bitcoin will hit a million dollars in three months or something like that. Uh, he might lose a million dollars, but he probably has Bitcoin holdings or that if people are like, if people cling to that or something and increase the value of Bitcoin, maybe he makes more than a million dollars. So yeah, maybe let's, let me, like let me convert signaling. the price right now. Bitcoin price as of this recording, $28,900 USD. I don't know how much money he has in Bitcoin, but assuming that's gone from 26 to 29, he probably made more than a million during that time period. <laughs> that's that's fair. But it's, you know, probably has nothing the to only, do with this tweet. But <laughs> yeah. And, but the only way to productively use it is to sell the Bitcoin. Um, Let's talk about yeah. Shopify. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, wait, here, here's a question I have, though. Oh yeah, we probably, what do we have? We started a little late, so we have more than 10 minutes. But here's one question I have. Is it unethical to say that you think the economy is going to head into hyperinflation? Do you think it's unethical to say that? Because some people would argue that they want to warn about the facts, right? But I think historically, it's almost been shown that that's really, I think immoral because you convince people that the world's going to end and they really destroy a lot of their wealth by making dumb bets and following a lot of these people. I'm not going to name any of the names, the doomers, they can do whatever they want. But what do you think on that? Is it unethical to say the U.S. is heading into hyperinflation? I think it depends on who you are. Like if some random guy does it on Twitter, I'd say who cares? Like no but one's if, really but if Buffett does it, he that's that yeah. would be a, an immoral, immoral move by someone like him. Yeah, I think so. like if you know that you have that what you say influences people's decisions and can cause something to happen, it's like him buying any stock. Like, and frankly, I think if he buys something and the stock shoots up because he bought something and he sells it, I think that's somewhat unethical. Um the same way him saying like i think the us will hit hyperinflation he can probably there are people that could probably speak it into existence if jerome powell does it yeah he could probably <laughs> yeah, yeah him or or, existence. or or yelling or something like that yeah hopefully i, I described think, that correctly it was very hard to it's hard to understand that bet um maybe i should well, have made be, better notes yeah. it was but, i mean it was a stupid bet so it was kind of hard to 
explain the rationale. <laughs> yeah, because um, the the uh, uh, I just thought it was very funny with the way uh, like good marketing. I I lost a million to tell you they're printing trillions, and I was like, thumbs up, good good for you. But yeah, let's hit Shopify. I think this is super interesting. I would love to discuss this. Yeah, Shopify reported earnings this morning as of we're we're talking on Thursday the fourth. May the fourth be with you. By the way. Um, yeah, they reported earnings and I believe the earnings looked pretty good. Stock jumped like 25% this morning. So it must've been good. They announced a layoff for a fifth of their workforce. And then kind of one of the big announcements here is that they are exiting basically their logistics efforts. They're selling Shopify logistics to what's it called? Flexport, I think is the company. Um, yeah, yeah Flexport. I'm, and they're getting an equity stake in Flexport as well. Um, they already owned a stake in Flexport, so it was already it's deepening. They love to say deepening the partnership. Ooh, so exciting! Yeah, and you know, okay, I love to dunk on Shopify because I think they sometimes I don't know. To be honest, Toby Lucky's done some stuff in the past that kind of like I didn't like. I don't think him pressuring short sellers is whenever, kind of, whenever yeah. a CEO calls out short sellers for like being anti like bad people. I, I, I don't really like that. Cause I think they serve a purpose in the market, but um, NFTs. he says yeah. all this yeah. stuff about like side quests and he loves to make like gaming references. He's a big into gaming. Um, and he's like, logistics was a side quest for us. And it's like, okay. <laughs> nice, little, nice little side quest to burn a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very expensive side quest for your shareholders. Um, it's maybe a flattering term to say, to basically say that we lost a bunch of money. Um, but I, I think ultimately my takeaway from this, honestly, was that every once in a while, investors are reminded how deep Amazon's competitive advantages are. <laughs> yeah, or how expensive it would be to copy them. And when their primary competitor exits their logistics business, to me, it shows, okay, no one can replicate that fulfillment. Yeah I, was, yeah, I was seeing an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about how Flexport is now going to be a competitor to Shopify, or excuse me, Amazon, but uh, that was totally... If you're reading some article about that, I would disagree with that because Flexport is like a marketplace where you can hop onto you know, Amazon's fulfillment network. But here's here's what I thought was interesting. And again, there's more of the two, just these three points in Shopify's business. First, they decided to get rid of the logistics arm with this deal with Flexport, which is probably, you know, maybe could be worth something over the long term because they have a big stake in Flexport. Flexport becomes a biz, big business, whatever. It's not worth that much today. Second, they're laying off 20% of their workforce. Some of that is with the Flexport deal. And then third, they reported a maybe average earnings report with gross profit up, I believe, I don't have the number in front of me, up about 12%. So fine, you know, coming out of there because they, you know, they're lapping some of the tough COVID comps still. Today, their stock is up 24%, Ryan. And they've added, I think, trying to do some rough numbers. I'm not going to do the math in my head exactly. Maybe $15 billion in market cap today. They've added $15 billion in market cap, currently trading at a $73 billion market cap. What are your thoughts on that? Maybe I'll pull up their valuation and see what you think. I mean, I still love the business. Like, I still think this is, they they offer a wonderful product, but what the, their ability to take costs or their ability to take money from their merchants. So their take rate is going to be reduced if they provide less value to them. So, and I know they still offer the easiest way to set up a shop online, but if you're not providing the logistics, that's going to lead to take rate compression. Like if they're, if, if Amazon's sneaking in there with their buy with uh, what, what is it? It's the Buy with Prime initiative where they're um they can integrate that onto their Shopify website. That's that's more value being given to Amazon. Yeah, you've got the EV to sales up here. I mean, it still trades at 
a relative premium to most businesses out there. A health, a healthy premium. I'm seeing for the listeners here. Of course, during the bubble, they were up at ridiculous kind of sixty times sales. Uh, today, again, it's not perfect. We're just using stratosphere here. It is EV to sales of thirteen point one. For reference, their margins are below, I believe, around fifty percent on a gross margin basis. So that it's not like they're ninety percent, like a, a great software company would be. And the mark, uh, so they're trading at what? If we divide, say, say they have fifty percent gross margins, they're trading at like twenty six times gross profit. And typically, again, everything you know depends how much you translate your gross profit into earnings. Shopo, I think, would be fairly low though. Um, Typically, a company will trade at about six, five to eight times gross profit on average. So it's like this is still like how. Here's my concern: How big can this business get? What do you think, Ryan? If it's just providing the online shop and pay- and payments, all the software basically. Yeah, but I'm saying payments is going to go to Amazon. Oh, you think it's all going to go there? They're still growing share. I, I wouldn't. I mean, yeah, that is that is a competitive threat. Yeah, I mean, that's a threat to think about. Yeah. Well, it's it's a business with a lot of operating expenses, right? They have to pay for development, CMS, and being the builder of the merchant site is a competitive world, right? There's a lot of other alternatives. Maybe they aren't as good as Shopify, but I think Wix, Squarespace, Big Commerce, um, even just putting up your own shop on Amazon, um, which obviously is not, you know, that's not your own. Most people do both. Yeah. Most people do both. Mm -hmm. Like that's competitive and you constantly, that means the operating expenses are probably going to be perpetual that you have to continue to invest in, in those developers over time to keep having a competitive product. Um, I don't think their ability to convert gross profits, gross profit dollars to earnings is going to be that high. I would guess it's probably fairly low. Like you said, so, I mean, the valuation seems a little extreme, but yeah, I do think I do think it's a wonderful product, and I think a lot of people get fixated on that and conflate that with whether or not this is going to provide good shareholder returns. I I have a hard time imagining these business. All businesses are going to be valued on their cash flows over time. I think what's today's market cap? Some. 75, let's say 75 billion. EV is going to be slightly different, but yeah, 75 billion. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it can generate some cash, but it's, it's a steep multiple. Yeah, props to the people, props to Brad Freeman, actually, for because this is one of those businesses that we identified where we said this is a really good business model. Um, my thoughts have maybe I mean, changed yeah. a little bit over time, but we said if this gets cut in half or gets cut by 70% or something like that in 2021 you know maybe this would be investable brad did it uh, at kind of a one now hindsight with the earnings behind us at a wonderful price yeah and uh yeah i guess yeah he's been very smart on that he's been trimming his stake i believe but what i want to put words is that he has the stock market news stock market nerd newsletter uh that's completely free he, kind of covers a group of companies that he owns and some of the companies that he follows. And you can kind of see what trades he's doing in real time, which I think is interesting to follow, especially if you're interested in those stocks as well. And one of those is Shopify. Yeah, we'll have to um, get him back on the show sometime. He did used to join us on a regular basis. We have like one or two minutes left, Ryan. I'm seeing the clock here. Maybe one minute. Anything else before we wrap up the show today? Match Group reported. We are Match Group Uh, shareholders. Yeah, probably for me, it was probably in line with what I was expecting. Nothing too surprising, nothing too disappointing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Kind of just like, no, no big, no big surprise for me. Although the stock, no one knew how to trade that stock in the days following. It was like down 2%, up 5%. No one knew how to understand the report. Yeah. My, I guess it would just be like, if Tinder were dying, like if Tinder's relevance were diminishing, I'm not sure I'd be able to identify it early on. Hmm. Because maybe that's what's been happening. And now I think it's still as large as it was last year, but it's kind of hard to say because they don't report like the user data. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to tell. Um 
because like what how valuable is a user versus an active user, you know, because there's some people that probably hop on there and swipe like once versus someone that's active or someone who's going to pay. Yeah, I think it's a big TBD. It's one that we'll definitely have to do a postmortem on, I think, two to three years from now. It'll be very interesting because I could see a way we're right. I could see a way we're wrong. Um, but we do like it today. We actually did do a full show on them. What would be that? One month ago? Two months ago now? That anyone that's interested in that going through the full. Again, when we talk about stuff we own, we try to be as bearish as possible. You know, we're not like we outline all the risks there and some of that stuff is materializing. But yeah, all around kind of just, all right, let's get to the next quarter. Is that it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's right up on time. We've been streaming for 59 minutes now. 59. All right, perfect. That's going to do it for this episode. Anyone that is watching, please go live on YouTube at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on our YouTube channel, which you can, if you're listening on the podcast, you can find the show notes. You can also watch the replays whenever you want on YouTube or listen to the replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. If you like listening to this show, the best way to support us is to do either one or both of these things. Give us a review on whatever podcast player you're listening on, be that Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And two, subscribe to the free newsletter uh, called Chit Chat Money on Substack that lets you track each of the shows. Okay, as of disclosure, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. Matt, H, and Scotland, the core, <laughs> the core watchers. And we'll see you next time.